Hello, welcome to Garage Night episode five. Uh, we'll get right into the news. Uh, I guess Tesla is going to start offering Disney Plus on their cars, on top of uh, all the other crazy thing they've been uh, things they've been adding, like the Tesla Arcade and such. The Tesla Arcade. I'm not even familiar with that. Yeah, you can play Stardew Valley on uh, on your Tesla. Uh, wow. I thought it was I thought it was crazy enough when they put the browser on there, but no, there's there's video games, there's there's everything. So they're going to be adding. Um, uh, looks like they're going to add Twitch and and everything. So, oh geez, I, I assume this is all when it's parked in park, but you know who knows anymore. Hey man, maybe you can jailbreak it and do uh, do what you can with an iPhone, right, or something like that. <laughs> So they got Disney Plus now that you your your I'm guessing your kids can watch while you're driving. Yeah, it'd be nice if that big crazy touchscreen you could just pop it off and hand it back to them. Like, yeah, Here, just stop. But, but I'm guessing that would forego most of your vehicle control since that's your primary source of uh, interaction with the car. Yeah, so... your, your, your kid would then be turning on and off your seat heaters. I don't I don't think that's a yeah. Good you idea. can't have seat heaters go off. I, I know you. That <laughs> would be a, a no go for you. Now I gotta, I gotta have that that stuff on. It's good for my muscles. It is, yeah. You know, seat heaters are one of those necessary things that uh, you know modern car drivers need. <laughs> Safety features. I've been I've been driving my truck lately, and uh, it has power nothing, uh, as we discussed last week, and it's it's fine once you're out driving. You don't notice that it's gone. Uh, maybe that's just me. I'm like, oh, where's my seat heater? But when I get back into one of the Beamers, it's like, oh yeah, I need to turn that on. That's, it's, I can't have it off if I'm in the Beamers, but I don't miss it in the, in the Ranger. Maybe because I'm busy with all the other stuff. Like shifting and making sure it goes down the road straight and. (laughs) And going, uh... what is that sound? What is that? Is that a new sound? Is that always clunked like that? Yeah, I, uh, I was thinking when I do the interior in my car, uh, I would like to put some seat heaters in there. That would be a nice amenity to, to add. Well, let's start with carpet and go from there. Carpet's a good a good first start, you know, baby steps. And do you have any thoughts on on uh, the growing infotainment abilities of, of the Teslas? Do you think we're going to see that in other vehicles, or is this something that's a flash in the pan that only someone like Elon would, uh, would make happen. I, I think it'll catch on somebody inevitably will copy it. You think well, we can play Stardew Valley on that giant, uh, on the giant on analog there? screen. That's exactly what I was thinking. Well, I will, I will say that, you know, it, it seems like it's been a very slippery slope for auto manufacturers. Uh, you know, when, when one starts adding some type of technology to a car, the others seem to follow suit very quickly, um, regardless if it's right or wrong. You know, um, I think that it's it's not necessarily a good thing, in my opinion. Um, you know, you got I don't know. You, you, I, five years ago, you know, touchscreens were kind of a novelty thing. Now it seems to be expected in most cars, right? Right. Um, you know, it, it just we've you know, and that just is how things progress, but. You know, sometimes those things can add an element of, of uh, I don't know, uh, some, some, there could be some safety issues with, with those kind of uh, additions, right? Um, I don't know. That, that's just my thought on it. 
you know, there's definitely a lot of issues that are going to crop up with it, but that's inevitable. Right. I mean, and, and the other thing too, with some of this interconnectivity of, of cars, um, and I think it's been touched on before with uh, like the Jeeps and stuff, but you know, that it does open up vulnerabilities to, you know, hackers or malware or things that can directly affect the safety of cars too. Um, you know, uh, I'm sure that there will be malware specific to certain types of vehicles that could be uh, published that, you know, when, when you're, when that is the brain of your, of your car and it's connected to some type of cellular network, like a lot of these cars are now, um, you know, constantly transmitting and receiving data, it would be very easy for, you know, targeted attacks or even, you know, like spray and pray attacks to, uh, to affect some of these cars. And I mean, you're talking safety, right? You're talking braking systems, steering systems, uh, wipers, lights, uh, things that could be seriously detrimental if they begin malfunctioning. Um, I don't know. I think, I think, you know, I, I, and I'm sure that, you know, car companies are doing their best to protect their software from hacking but you know there's always defense and offense right you know so you got to have some type of some type of redundant systems to detect when those things happen um you know and and i'm not sure if those are built in right now or not but still it it does open up that vulnerability you know the days of the analog um you know uh your car isn't connected to anything or pretty much gone at this point you know um, aside from some of the very entry model cars, so let's go to Russia. Do you think you yeah. could fix that by having two systems? Like, have your your because uh, I know one of the ways that they got into that Jeep a couple of years back was the remote start. They were able to turn it on because that was Bluetooth connected. Do you think uh, that we could pretty much eliminate? You could still have the connectivity as long as it was a completely different computer and electrical system from major components like your wipers your lights your ignition your your all all of that stuff that was separated from the infotainment and let the infotainment i mean if the worst they could do is turn off your screen or turn your seat heaters on or off or mess with your climate control that wouldn't be so bad but i think it would just require um because i mean it's not like you can't piggyback a uh a remote start system today like when you get from car toys or such like it's just a frequency if you could if it's not a rolling code you could always clone and use that to start a car so that's that's not a a a new problem no no but uh you know by the same at the same time right you know people are getting uh more interconnected uh things you know that their their smartphone is enabled their apps are enabled their all these things are intertwined and and to your point i think that uh i think that having them separate systems would would definitely add an element of safety but i don't think that's the direction things are going at this point in time and i don't think they're likely to go that way because of the demand for that interconnectivity of of systems right and and the night the thing about shortwave is oftentimes with those shortwave systems is you have to be nearby to take advantage of something like that right whereas you can access anything that is connected via internet you know from anywhere in the world so you know uh, uh and a smart hacker can send some some type of signal out to 
all cars on some certain type of, uh, you know, IP address uh, that it, that belongs or, or identify that type of operating system that is proprietary to Tesla or Jeep or Dodge or whatever, and then gain access, whether, you know, whether it's brute force or however they do it to, to their systems. And unless it, unless the car manufacturer specifically separates those systems, which is very unlikely um, currently, um, then I think they can gain access to different parts of the car that could, could affect safety. Right. You know, um, and it kind of goes beyond that too, not just, you know, car safety, but also, you know, there's, um, there's, um, you know, you've got, you know, almost every major manufacturer now you've got built in, you know, access to your garage, you know, you don't necessarily have, you know, the, the push button clip to your visor anymore. There's built-in systems in almost, you know, every car, every manufacturer now for, you know, opening your garage door and right. starting to expand out too. Well, at that point, you're also talking homes too. Exactly. Uh, you, yeah. You can hack into the car, you know, that system's becoming more interconnected and whatnot. You know, you've got to, you know, think about, you know, people at homes as well. Right. Right. That that's the that's the uh, you know the Black Mirror episode of cars and and homes. Right. You know where you see the dark side of technology. Exactly. Technology is an amazing thing when used in the right way, and can be a, an, a terribly dangerous thing when used in a dangerous way um, or in a careless way. Right. Right. So, and unfortunately, you know, being part of a a product development team, I can definitely see how, you know, in, in companies when product development cycles are rushed, things get overlooked or don't get ever get addressed. So, um, you know, uh, vehicles can get published or, or, or released to market with faulty, uh, you know, systems that aren't, aren't necessarily fully vetted and can really cause substantial, uh, danger to people. Um, you know, and, and, uh, I don't know. I, I think it's kind of an interesting, um, an interesting area of concern. And I, I don't know if there's, you know, I'm not an expert in vehicle regulation. I'm not sure if there's current test standards for that type of thing at this point in time, or if it's, if, if the technology has advanced so quickly that we haven't had the time to react, uh, to that, to d determine what is safe and what isn't. Well, also you're, you're dealing with, um, like hackers are small groups of, of people that can, that can change the way they do things fast versus an automaker sending out patches to try and shut them down. It's always going to be necessarily a slower reaction. Um, but, and, and I, I realized that the flaw in my point is we're going towards autonomous cars and autonomous cars out of necessity will both be connected to the internet and have full control of the driving aspects of the car. So we are looking at a future in which our infotainment quote unquote, and our actual, you know, moving of the vehicle are intertwined at a, at a, very base level so it is going to be a problem that we're going to have to address as we go towards autonomy right no for sure and uh and you know that's one of the things that could 
you know, in, in all reality, prevent autonomous driving if that is a problem that can't be solved um, reliably, you know. But again, I guess it, that kind of stuff has never stopped um, companies from coming to market with product before, you know, like uh, if you look at, um, you know, PVC pipe is a great example, like super, super dangerous, super unhealthy, but somehow has managed to continue to pervade in, uh, you know, society, right? Like it, there have been, you know, it's everywhere, right? Like doesn't just because something isn't safe doesn't mean that it's not, um, you know, going to make it to market. Russia, so, Russia still uses asbestos. Like it's, yeah. Safety does not correlate necessarily like hundred percent to no. whether something is around or not. No. Right. Right. Russia, you still have, you still have the lot of prevalently in Russia. Right. I mean, you could make an argument that alcohol is dangerous and just having it around for anyone to drink and drive would be enough reason to technically get rid of it. You know, cigarettes are nothing but danger, but yeah, we keep it around. So, you know, it's, it's the for the children argument that doesn't really play very well because, well, that's all fine and dandy for this. But then when it comes to something that knocks on your door, it's like, oh, well, don't, you know, I want to have. I want to be able to lock and unlock my doors from my phone. I, personally, if I'm in the mall and I go, oh, no, I forgot to lock the car. I don't want to have to walk all the way back out to the parking lot to get close enough to hit the button to lock it. I'd love to open up my phone and hit a button and go, OK, now they're locked and the alarm is set. I would love to be able to on my way back out to the mall. It's 105 degrees outside. I want to hit a button, turn on the AC five minutes before I get out there and have it cool off the car. But, you know, to have that, you have to let in the demons. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You've, you've, you've got it both ways. Yeah. But it is definitely convenient. And, you know, I, you know, that happened to me the other day, actually, that kind of similar scenario. So um, I was training one of our new techs and was showing him the um, not necessarily car related, but you know, Bluetooth connectivity, whatnot related, um, you know, the new app um, for our garage store motors. And it's like, look, you, you can control this. You know, I can control my door 30 miles away from my phone right here. As long as, you know, I've got Wi-Fi at the house and the power's on. And I open my phone, I open the app and sure enough, I left that morning and left my door wide open and it said, oh, yep, garage door has been open for like four hours, chief. And I was like, mm, that's nice. Let's go ahead and close it. <laughs> so in some ways it's nice and, and you know, some ways it's, it's uh, you know, can be a detriment kind of back to what we were saying, right? Like right. kind of like the auto headlights on cars and, and all that stuff, right? It, it, there's exactly. always a trade-off, you know, mm-hmm. like people are less aware of what their car is doing. But, you know, it also takes the question out of not, you know, not having it on when you need it. So I don't know, like there's just a there's always a trade off and um, just depends on what you can live with. Right. Or what you, you know, what what you guys or what the consumer, I guess, deems as acceptable uh, level of risk. Well, I have to have my heated seats. We've we we went over that. That's important. So I'm not willing <laughs> to give that up for any any safety. You're you're willing to burn your your flesh possibly if if there's a short for the for the warm uh the warm nights or the uh or the warm uh seat in the morning on a cold day. You know it. 
I, I think I'd be willing to make that trade off too. <laughs> Heated steering yeah, wheels. That's, that's what I'm missing. Yeah, my dad has one of those. He said it really helps. He has a a little bit of like arthritis in one of his hands, mm-hmm. and he said it actually really helps his hand. Oh um, yeah, I'm, yeah, you yeah. know, in the morning uh, when he gets gets into his car. Yeah, that's that's some that's some good stuff. Uh, I believe Andy had brought something interesting to the table. Uh, you have something you wanted to bring up? Yeah. So two little interesting tidbits. Um, both of them from SVP Performance. Um, there is a new iron block for replacement for the Coyote. They're deeming it the werewolf block. Um, and it's supposed to be for the group of people making 1,000 plus horsepower with having issues with bore distortion. I wish I had that problem. Can you explain yeah. bore distortion? Because that's that's kind of beyond uh, my my knowledge base. There, what's bore distortion? I haven't read enough into it to give you any more accurate information than what it sounds like to me. I mean, I would guess that the cylindricity of the bore uh, changes uh, with heat. Yeah, with that much horsepower, and I assume boost pressure. Like they're, and... they're going out of round. It sounds like it, but I don't know 100%. Um, scrolling through, this, there's not a ton on it yet because it's kind of a Ford just kind of like dropped this off at the show and it's like, hey, this is here. It's coming soon. Apparently, you, uh, you can uh, apparently you can bore it out to a 5.6. 5.6, yeah. And it's only like 80 more pounds. And I mean, it'll take a thousand horsepower. So that's, that's going to be big for, uh, for, you know, the high horsepower application. Yeah, the high horsepower crew. Exactly. I still can't believe they're getting a thousand horsepower power out of a motor that's got what, uh, 10 to one compression or 11 to one or something insane on some of those running boost. Yeah. With so boost, usually can't do both of those. Yeah, so it looks like they revised the water jackets, they've lengthened the bores, and removed the oil squirters to strengthen everything up from the looks of it. So here's here's my question. So they went with cast iron, which to me is uh, dirt, um, coming from a metallurgy standpoint. So Ford, their Super Duty uh, engine uses this uh, graphite... Um, graphite compound block because it's supposed to be uh lighter than cast iron but stronger at the same time and so they use that for the high boost high compression kind of problem of of high horsepower diesels but it's still lighter than an iron block so i'm surprised that they did this instead of using that same technology my question would be reliability. Maybe this, you know, the the cast irons, you know, they, they're looking at 1,000 horsepower applications, boring it out to 5.6. I'm thinking they're talking reliability. Yeah, but you want to talk reliability. I mean, a, a, a giant uh, one-ton diesel, you have to have uh, – that. I mean, that's, that's their whole thing is longevity with diesels. If you sell a, a diesel that doesn't have, uh, you know – is it isn't gonna gonna last? 
I, 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 I just don't think that could be it, but I, I could be wrong. Compacted graphite iron block uh, is, is, is what they call it here. I know more people with problems with their diesels than just about anybody else. Yeah, but it's not the block going out is, is my point. Oh, no, but, but it is the, you know, uh, the high horsepower or high torque, um, you know, trying to deliver a reliable product with insane performance and capable of doing in, pulling insane amount of weight, um, you know, that that is something that is a trade-off, right? It is very difficult to build something with reliable, um, high horsepower, high torque, um, you know, usable in all types of weather uh, scenario, yeah, that, right? That's Generally, more fuel system you... problems in in diesels from from what I've seen. So, reading from Ford's uh, technical specifications for the 2020 Super Duty, uh, the block is a compacted graphite iron block with aluminum heads, um, and it it says it runs at a 15.8 to one compression. And keep in mind that that'll run 32 pounds of boost on top of that uh, to, on its way to over 1,050 foot-pounds of torque at 1,600 RPMs. I, I, I just can't see that, um, that that block would be fragile in any way, shape, or form. I, I just wonder why they didn't do that. Maybe cost? But if you've got an aftermarket iron block for a thousand horsepower, I wouldn't think that cost would be would be an option. I wonder if they'll if anyone will will bring that up. It's hard to say. So that's just going to be a, a drag strip uh, build sort of an engine, right? Because I mean, uh, what else would you use that for if you're putting more weight over the nose? to do more horsepower that has to be a drag strip block right i think i think they're talking truck i've seen a lot of people mentioning it in the f-150 setup instead of instead of the stock five liter going to a boring it out to a five six interesting hmm that that that's a I'm, scroll, I'm scrolling through the posts on the svt performance right now yeah same might start leaving show notes so that other people can can read up and see if they have another any other thoughts. Yeah, I forgot about the the seven three uh, the seven three V eight that they that they just dropped in the Super Duties is push rod. I mean that's cast iron block, uh, push rod and rocker arms in a gas V eight like that's. That's so uh it's so backwards for what Ford does. Ford's always been, you know, we want to go overhead cam immediately and um, you know, they always want to be technical technical tops and this just isn't they they seem to be kind of pulling back from that. Interesting to see. Oh, maybe they maybe they just realize that there are limits to their design with, you know, light, lighter weight materials, right? Mhm. Mm-hmm. It also could be a, a victim of marketing too. <laughs> yeah, but I think I would think the people in, in uh, marketing would want the the fancier sounding thing instead of oh push rods. I I know that from from you know back in the day. LS has been super popular though, right? That, that's true. There's there's a reason that the Chevy small block is what it is. 
but I, I feel like the new one might have gone overhead, but I, I can't speak to much Chevrolet product. Um, but speaking of LS1s, um, there's an LS1 in a in a little project uh, that I, I ran across. Uh, so there's a family, there's a, a father and son uh, in Colorado that are building a Lamborghini Aventador replica. Uh, so it's it's a uh, it's this guy and his son, his 11 year old son. Uh, so they they fabricated a steel chassis. They got an LS1 out of a vet. And they got like lights on on eBay and stuff. But they've been printing, 3D printing body panels, uh, with like uh, carbon fiber in them. Um, and they're they're building this replica. And uh, I guess um, it caught the attention of of uh, some people over at Lambo, and they called they called this family up and wanted to know if uh, they needed to borrow an Inventador S to take measurements and stuff and kind of uh, to build off of it. You know, I'm sure it's a publicity stunt, but it's really neat. They, uh, they delivered it. One of their factory drivers uh, delivered it to them. And uh, I guess the kid uh, plays a lot of Forza and it's one of his, one of his favorites in the, in the game and so they're but this this family's building a replica in their garage basically so that's that's really cool and the the dad said that he's just trying to get kids interested in in stem stuff which is exactly what lamborghini and and the manufacturers want is more generations of kids that they can employ right definitely as as far as you know building something like that like it's crazy. I mean, it's awesome. Good for them. Then, That's super cool that they're supportive of it. Jumped in to kind of, yeah, hey, you know, it shows up with this car. It's like, you guys want to take some, you know, measurements and go go for a ride in this car? Like, that's awesome. Well, that's all I brought for news, unless someone else uh, read or heard something in the last week. One more that I had found that, Randall, you will probably like. So, new for the new Ranger, Ford has decided to jump into the aftermarket game and is going to offer a leveling kit for the Ranger for basically the first time ever. Yeah, as a as a longtime Ranger guy, I've always wanted a, a factory, more factory edition like the um, uh, uh, the the Tundra and Tacoma have had that TRD Pro, right? Um, and since Ford said that they aren't going to bring be bringing the Raptor, the Ranger Raptor here, um, it'd be nice if they give us something like a TRD Pro kit. Exactly, and that's kind of looks like what they're doing. So what I'm seeing is basically um, they're adding the Fox shocks to it. Um, Which they already have that strong relationship with the Raptor. With the Raptor, exactly. Um, Looks like Ford Performance is kind of doing uh, some tuning on it. Uh, Two-inch front lift, new front coilovers, um, new upper... uh, New upper mounts, locking springs, blah, blah, blah. You know, basically a whole kind of a, a, a 
basically a kit for it, which is super nice, especially you know, since Ford hasn't been in that game to kind of jump into it now to compete with Toyota, you know, in that TRD Pro kit. That's an awesome offering. Yeah, just giving us like a like a, a real FX4 kit because, uh, you know, the FX4s are always kind of the off-road centric, but if they can give us a, you know, FX4 Pro sort of a deal, uh, I think it's going to sell super well because the guy that can't get his, you know, his wife to let him get a um, a Raptor, this could be kind of the, the the halfway there where it's still fun but it's still practical. That, that's that's you, you've you've hit it exactly on the head. That's exactly what I'm thinking. That's that's kind of that's my route right there of mm-hmm. not as needing or being able to afford the Raptor at the moment, but hey. That would be nice, and you know the it's fifteen hundred dollars for the kit. Got to have it installed, but like that's not bad for uh, no, it's not bad at all. Because when I was looking, you know, my teenage years when my knees were in better shape, when I wanted to lift my Ranger, it was looking with between shocks and and springs and everything, you know, twenty five hundred dollars plus wheels and tires, uh, and that was way back for you know aftermarket. And so if Ford can offer something that's like, hey, this isn't going to touch your your um, your warranty and it's, you know, through them and they can. Exactly. Warranty is the big hit with it right there. Yeah, you're still maintaining your factory warranty and it's, you know, like I said, you're talking hardly any costs on top of it. You know, it's a it's a no brainer. That is that is good news. I'd love to love to have me one of those. But as long as my uh, ranger keeps clicking, I'll keep driving it. <laughs> that is a that is a neat story. I enjoy that. All right, that's that's the news I think for today. Uh, Jeff, I saw your your car going down the road today. I was out for a, a cruise with with my boys in the five series and uh, going out towards your house that direction. And I was thinking, I wonder what what Jeff's up to and sure enough i look up and i see i see that chevy rolling right past me and i i'm i just i laughed to myself there it is and it looked good uh you you did a little bit more work to the to the suspension on that i think it looks dialed thanks man yeah i um i uh spent the last few days um working on uh tunneling or retunneling the drive shaft a little bit, um, or drive line area on the floor. So, uh, to clear the drive shaft, um, I, I had built in when I built my suspension, I built in uh, three inches of adjustment and I had it on the, uh, on the highest setting was kind of like the ideal for, uh, the ideal setup for handling, you know, purposes. It had really good, uh, control arm angle, pan arm bar was perfectly flat. You know, it was, it was kind of dialed in and, and that was where I had it originally, but I wasn't really super happy with how it looked. The rocker still had kind of a, uh, a downward slant towards the front of the car. It kind of had a little bit of a rake, and uh, that's not really the look I was going for. I really wanted that rocker parallel to the ground, and so I kind of sacrificed some performance for some looks, and I dropped the rear end uh, two inches. And um, when in doing that... Um, especially with these cars in, in particular, they have very little clearance, you know, kind of everywhere in underneath the car. So 
Um, you know, I, I, uh, uh, had to trim some things off the axle. I had to relocate a brake line and I had to completely, you know, retunnel the drive shaft area. I raised it up a couple inches, um, under the back seat just to prevent, um, you know, bottoming out when you, uh, hit bumps. But, uh, so far it's, it's actually still rides quite nice. I had to stiffen the shocks up a little bit, um, or the coilovers a little bit. And, um, but, uh, yeah, I know it, and it definitely looks, um, way better than it did before. I think, you know, I'm a lot happier with the way it looks. Um, so yeah, no, it, it's, uh, it definitely, uh, it's definitely improved in my opinion. Lots of smoky and unpleasant work though, to do that <laughs> when you, when you're welding inside of a car, uh, and you know, I had my doors open and, you know, my fan going, but you know, there's only so much you can do. And, um, lots of, uh, lots of burnt paint that was around the areas that you grind from things getting uh, hot and just, just, just not a pleasant thing to do. You know, when you're outside the car, at least you're, you know, and you're welding patch panels on or whatever, at least the smoke has somewhere to go and dissipate. But when you're inside the cab, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot worse. So generally when I'm doing that kind of stuff, I wear a respirator and it is just, it's still not fun. It's not pleasant, but I will say it's better than welding underneath the car on your back. That is probably the worst. So, well, to me, it was worth your effort. So, so I could see it with that, with that drop. Cause like you said, having that, uh, that rocker panel sit level. Um, so you sent some pictures out, uh, right after you did, it took some good pictures, uh, uh, I'll post them up on our, on our Instagram that I'll plug later. Um, and it, it just looked really good. And I had no idea that he had, that he had, uh, lowered at that point. I just saw the pictures and I went, wow, that's really good. And then he's like, yeah, I lowered it two inches. I'm like, stop, you're done. That's exactly where it needs to sit. Like it, uh, it looks a little low in the back, uh, only because of how the back slopes down with that long hood and the short, you know, the short, very vertical kind of deck, but the, the, the rocker panel sitting level to the ground just gives it just, I think that car is the proper stance Yeah, and, uh, and the wheels, how, how far the wheels are up in the fenders. It just, it looks like that's how it should sit. Yeah. Uh, for the, for the style, maybe if it was, painted with like a glossy maroon and you know had the full <laughs> interior or it was like full uh classic race car maybe you'd be looking at something else but the way it sits um is is perfect for the aesthetic that i feel it's trying to give off yeah yeah no that's a good point yeah no i'm really i'm really happy with it i think uh here shortly you know I, i'd like to get get after the interior so if anyone listening has a rear seat for a 1950s Chevy Styline <laughs> two-door, please yeah. let me know. I'd love to buy it. Um, but uh, uh, I, uh, I'm trying to source one of those, and then I'm going to get uh, uh, get going on the interior. I've got, you know, I was going to do it myself, and then I I went out and talked to a few interior places, and their prices are coming back reasonable enough to where it may make sense to have them do it. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not super keen on being the guy to go stitch up a seat or you know, do that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm, 
I don't know. I've been dreading the interior more than anything else. I can, I can install it for the most part. Um, but, uh, I don't really like making that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I know what I want in my head. <laughs> I just got to translate it to, uh, to reality. And, uh, and, and, you know, I think that's one of the areas in the car that I want to be kind of a focal point. You know, when you get in the car, I want it to be way, way, way nicer than it should be, but I don't want it to look out of place. You know, I want it to be kind of that vintage cool vibe of, uh, you know, old, old style cloths, old style materials, um, really well placed, good coloration, you know, like nice soft browns and, uh, and light browns and maybe some greens intermixed in there. Just something that looks like an old fifties kind of couch or some, you know, a home, just very, so very uh, kind fun. of pastel colors, very, very muted colors. Yeah. Very, um, yeah, very uh, feng shui or however you say it, you know, that very warm kind of feeling you get in and you're like, this is a place I want to be, you know, this is a place I want to sit and drive and just go enjoy myself. Like it needs to be the nicest of my cars for interior and like, like you step in and it's, it's something totally different than the outside, but it needs to be complimentary. Out of that, uh, horse blanket material, like, uh, <laughs> like grandma's, grandma's old wool blanket material. No, I, I'm thinking like uh, like a kind of a, a coarse weave, almost like a uh, canvasy or a tweed kind of material mm-hmm. as the seat cushion and the door panel, and then wrapped in maybe like a, a gator print vinyl or a uh, distressed leatherette vinyl um, around the outside, you know, um, and and all in like browns and a kind of a. Uh, maybe a, like a lighter brown on the insert and, uh, you know, um, something just kind of very, very period, very subtle, but very like uh, inviting and, and nice place to be, you know, uh, not um, not in your face, something very, uh, uh, very classy. You do seem to have a very specific vision for the interior. And so I understand why you are tempted to try and do it yourself because you know exactly what you want and translating that can be a pain. Yeah. And the, the tough thing is though, is I just don't know if I have the skills to pull that off um, and make it, make it the reality I want it to be. Um, so that's, that's the part I'm struggling with the most. And, and unfortunately, you know, these, these guys who do the interior, uh, they have lines on people who, specialize only in interior fabrics for cars, you know, UV safe materials, um, all of the right backing materials. And they have years and years of knowledge to be able to make this stuff work and work really well. Um, I feel like that's the right word when you said knowledge. It's not just their ability to staple cloth onto, you know, over foam onto the frame. It's, it's knowing what materials, materials to use where, what you need to be rough so your butt doesn't wear it into nothing but you know but this needs to be a soft touch because that's where you're gonna put your hand and you would think that this would be soft but it's gonna like it has to be that right balance well you know your arm's gonna rest on this versus your hand rubbing this versus you know your jeans on you know sliding across this they know about how they're gonna wear differently based on what they're doing and so just yeah the knowledge and like you said access to those very specific materials is is probably what makes the cost worth it i don't think any of us three have done uh 
any major interior modifications uh, I, um, unless I'm forgetting something. The most that I've done myself has been uh, basically the door panels uh, front and rear and my Falcon. And I uh, had someone do the headliner in that, but I also did the uh, carpet, my Bronco, but that's, those are all peanuts compared to, you know, uh, making Designing your own and interior. sewing and stretching and stapling. Yeah. And there's, you know, I went to two, two different upholstery shops here and, uh, you know, one guy did, he did really, you know, pretty reasonable work, but there's one thing that bothers me when I see a car and, and it's bothered me on a lot of the cars I've seen that have been done uh, by a lot of these upholstery shops who just, you know, if you look at a, at a car who's had interior done and has bright, bright, nice new materials, you think, oh, that's a nice interior from, you know, from a high level. But then you start looking at it and you see, okay, maybe the stitching isn't even here. Or when you look at the edge of a door panel and it's not radius right and you got like a little bit of a corner where the, where the fabric is kind of bound up and doesn't quite stretch and you've got like a little bit of an angle on one corner of, of a door panel or something like that bothers me so much and it shouldn't but it does and so you know when i when i'm looking at this one of these guys i I went and talked to he actually had really good stitching everything fit really well but a couple of the door panels had that kind of issue you know and i know it's tough to get around that because you have to stretch and heat and stretch and cut and do so much to the material but second guy i went to a lot of the cars that i looked at that he had done he didn't have that issue. He had done it. He was super meticulous about everything he did, you know, and he was talking about in this, in my particular car's application, you know, okay, it's missing this tack strip, uh, you know, in the headliner. So I'm going to have to make one of those because I don't make those anymore. So you're making a tack strip and you're adhering it in a way that they didn't do it from the factory because you can't get those parts anymore. Yada, yada, yada. Seems super knowledgeable, super engaged in what's going on. And he's, and he's, you know, some of that stuff just comes from doing cars before, you know, and if it's your first time ever doing something, you're bound to make mistakes. And unfortunately, when you're dealing with very expensive materials, those mistakes can be very costly, you know, and nonetheless time consuming. Um, So, you know, I don't know, it's, it's kind of a weird thing. This, I feel like the cars come so far that, you know, I want it to be really nice. So I'm, tempted to do it myself, but I'm also tempted to take it to someone and work with them to get it exactly where I want it. But it just has to be within my budget of, of, you know, cheap. So, uh, you know, I can't, I can't spend $10,000 on an interior for a car. Right. So. Yeah. It makes complete sense. Talking interior, it gets pretty, pretty expensive, pretty quick, especially like I said, if you're, you know, dealing with somebody who knows what they're doing, you know, makes those, this radius is perfect. The stitching, even you know stuff like that, like it's all it's all experience. It's all time. You know, it's you know, man hours too. Like it takes more hours, time exactly. to get that. It takes more time to get that radius right than it does just to uh, you know fold it over and call it a day. Right, and, right. And especially when you're talking about fabricating stuff that physically doesn't exist anymore. You know, to an yeah. old an old setup. You know, it's yeah. They have to measure the seats. They have to you know they don't have. They don't have blueprints for the seat, right? Like for my Falcon, I can buy seat covers that are mass produced because they were basically the same seat that was in a Mustang. They're a little bit different, you know, easy, easy peasy, right? You can buy it and hogging them on yourself, but you get to something like, 
a you know 1950 Chevy where the patterns don't exist anymore. Um, you know, there's a few companies who sell kits, but the kits alone are 2,500 bucks. You know, so uh, if you want anything that's not a standard kit interior, uh, you know, you're looking at somebody measuring it, cutting it, sewing it, you know, doing all of that stuff on their own. Any further thoughts on interiors? I don't think so. Not not for me, at least. I heard that zipper, Jeff. Zipper, that wasn't me. That's on my side. <laughs> That's on my side. <laughs> I would have lost money on that bet. Yep. The only thing that you would be uh, you would be hearing here is uh, is beer splashing into my mouth right now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, well, uh, liquid lubrication for my poor personality. Liquid. Something's got to loosen him up. So, social anxiety uh, medication right here. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Usually that calls for something with a little more potency. I do have whiskey out there. I got there some go. good whiskey too. I bought some, or, uh, I bought some Blanton's. I don't know. Uh, I know this is uh, is not a whiskey show, but uh, Blanton's, man. If you ever want to have some good bourbon, whoo, that's some good stuff right there. That's a fun game we can play right now. What are uh, it's What are you drinking? Because uh, uh, you said you were having a beer. Let me guess, it's a half. You yeah, you probably know that because that's one of the few beers I can drink without getting a massive headache. So mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I, I recently got up and got a uh, fresh squeezed IPA from Deschutes. Mm, that's what gives me headaches. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm over here drinking Mountain Dew, or at least the orange version. That's live wire. That, li- live wire. Yeah, that sounds like a very Andy drink of you to to choose. It's very on brand for you. It's very yeah. <laughs> Oh man, I still remember uh, driving down Sandy Boulevard with you in your in your Fobra um, when they were doing police raids uh, down uh, between 181st and 122nd. Uh, and we yeah. we looked like drug dealers driving around this car that was loud and had HIDs on it, and two guys in hoodies with the hoods up driving around in the middle of the night while all these police were driving back and forth between neighborhoods. Uh, yeah. I don't know why that just popped into my head, but I just remember, I think we were going to shoot pool or something. And uh, yeah, oh, those are good times, man. <laughs> so, dude, like here, I, before we started, I was, I was rolling through all your videos on your, your YouTube. Like there's so much nostalgia there. I know. <laughs> I look through. Uh, I look through some of the beach videos on. Uh, That's exactly on what I was watching. Mike, this was like 2011, 12, 13. I'm like, good lord, this is this is vintage. It is, yeah. The the terrible camera footage, the the music that's awful. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was it was good stuff though. Jumping the MX5. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I'll start. I'll start dropping some of this stuff uh, onto our. We have an Instagram now, uh, Tiny Dog Podcast Network. Uh, so you can just search the the network on on iTunes, and you'll find you'll find Garage Night and and our our sister shows uh, on there. And I'll I'll uh, I've been dropping 
pictures. I'll be dropping some of these bits of these videos because they are good stuff, especially for a few seconds at a time. Uh, yeah, if you ever want to see a Mazda MX-6 get jumped at the beach, that'll be up uh, this week. <laughs> and me with long hair, which was great. <laughs> oh, yeah. We won't, we won't talk, I won't talk about myself. Oh, you mean the beach picture that's going to no, go? No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I've delayed enough. Um, so when you buy a $1,500 V8 BMW, uh, you expect problems. Um, and so they arise. Um, <laughs> so wiring is a funny thing. Um, so the the 5 series decided to do something uh weird and I, I i was told about it by the previous owner but it 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 had just stopped and so i i didn't think about it until it started again uh the headlights just decide that they just want to come on at 2 in the morning 3 in the morning whatever and you go out to the car in the morning and the battery's dead uh or more fun uh i i figured out if i turn the brights on on the stock the brights turn off and so as long as they keep the headlights off and the brights switched on the car doesn't drain the battery and die but then when you go out and you start it um as soon as you you can turn on the marker lights and that's fine but as soon as you turn on the headlights on come the headlights the fog lights and the brights all on doesn't matter if you have the brights clicked on, clicked off, doesn't matter. Just the brights are always on. So I had to pop under the hood and uh, physically unplug the the uh, bulbs for the brights, and and now it's it's uh, it works fine now. But um, it keeps the illumination on the dash for the brights, and it keeps dinging at me all the time it's like oh the headlight bulbs are are disconnected or bad and i'm like i i, I know what's going on um but, so it's time to pull the bulb out of the dash too then yeah yeah exactly um but look, looking around uh and talking to the previous owner there's a a big headlight relay that's the size of like a like almost a, a sheet of paper but thick thick as a book and uh I should be able to go in and just remove this whole uh, control module, plug three things in, and uh, and be back down the road. Uh, hopefully, that's all it is. But yes, my I'm sorry, twelve hundred dollar uh, BMW is not flawless. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll attest to that. Is twelve hundred dollar cars not acting as they should because <laughs> their focus is dead yet again. <laughs> oh, because you were having trouble with that a couple weeks ago. I I, I think it's it really is just a battery because I I charged I jumped it and I charged it all the way. I let it sit in the charger for a couple of days and trickle charged it and it came back fine. But as soon as I let it sit outside in the cold, it drained itself down again. So I think it just needs to, to replace a battery. And frankly, I'm just lazy and don't want to buy a battery for it right now. <laughs> well, at because least you got the Cobra. That's I'm, completely. I'm yeah, well, I'm driving the truck around, and I decided to get the the Cobra out last weekend, and shocker, surprise, surprise, that's dead too. Man, that's like well, frustrating. <laughs> yes, it's it's those those pesky Ford Gremlins, you know, those grounding issues and electrical problems that make me want to just get rid of it and go buy a 350 and just be done with it, or go buy an RS and just have one fun car. <laughs> 
here's the problem. Well, I think that's all we've got for, for rides. It's a little cold out and we had, you know, uh, over the, the holiday break, uh, you know, not a lot of time to get out and, and do stuff like that. Uh, anyone get anything, uh, interesting car related, uh, for Christmas? I can make this quick. I did not nothing automotive related in the least. Don't believe I did. I believe I, I got a set of valve stem caps that say SVT on them for the Cobra. Hey, Neat. yeah. I like that. It's a nice little touch. Yeah. As far as car related, that is it. <laughs> I got uh, two bottles of bourbon, which help when you're working on a car all day. So, I mean. <laughs> you, you two can probably imagine the things that I that I wanted and got for Christmas this year, not car related. The two other things I do, hockey and firearms. <laughs> no shooting bullets, pew pew. Pretty much all I do anymore, especially in the off season of you know, winter and snow here. You mean you don't drive your Cobra, your, you know, 600 horsepower Mustang in the snow? Ironically enough, I've been waiting for it to snow a couple inches to take it out and do exactly that. <laughs> well, that's not driving. That's just uh, trying not that's to crash for, for minutes at a time. There's, there's so many un unbuilt neighborhoods with just empty roads out here. That sounds like fun to me. <laughs> exactly. When it's When it rains, do you take it out for drift weather? No, not in the rain. No, no. We we had we've had problems in the past with that. Come on. There's no, oh, no that was out fall there. and rain. Yeah. <laughs> Boise doesn't have trees. Come on. <laughs> all right, guys. So I was thinking, um, you know, we talk about all these fantastic, you know, cars and and some of our cars that we own and how great they are. But what are some of the cars that you guys hope to own one day, or just dream cars that you would, you know? Just oh, not only so do you good. love, but are, are something that you, you know, would love to own one day. So I was thinking, you know, to start out something that we we all, I think, kind of liked to some degree because we've all owned Mustangs, right? Classic muscle cars, right? What is a classic muscle car? Um, you know, I would say 1960 to 1974, uh, something in that era that is just a uh, just exudes muscle that you guys absolutely love that is a dream car for you, um, you know, Randy, Andy, what do you guys think? I mean, for me, I think it's a no brainer. It's one you probably don't care for as much because of the color, but uh, it's gonna be <laughs> it's gonna be a '69 Bossero two and Grabber Blue. Oh boy! You that's, know what? That's... In the period that that car works perfect. Yeah, that's my that's my go to, you know, for talking classic muscle, you know, it's loud, it's my color style, you know. It's it's your brand. Yeah, that that's the car. Yeah. Yeah. Those have such a great great lines to them too, you know, they have those big big old hips on the back and then the big old scoop on the front and and I think they came with a were those a 351 in those? Or the a Boss 302. Oh, the 302, 302 was, was a 302. Was and then 302. I think the Mach 1s had the 351. Yeah, the Mach 1 was yeah. a 351 Windsor. That's right, right, right. Yeah, no, the Boss 302, yeah, that's a killer car. Uh, my dad had a buddy in high school who had one, and that car was just was just super fast. It was one of the few cars that could keep up with his uh, his built 440 Challenger. Um, yeah, those are, those are a fantastic muscle car. 
Is there anything you would do to it if you had it? I mean, like if you if you if you got that car, what would you what would be the first thing you did to it other than obviously turn the key and cruise it around? Like would you do something special to it? I mean, yeah, definitely, you know, I would I'd drive the crap out of it. I'd drive it everywhere first, you know, for a bit. But, you know, me, I can't leave anything, you know, like <laughs> it'd be hard to leave it alone because, you know, if it was everything all original, it'd be hard to to wanna mess with it. But part of me is like I, I have to do something. Like I would love to put, you know, a, like a modern, you know, driveline in it or something, you know, suspension setup that's, you know, going to handle a little bit better than it did, you know, originally, sure. you know, and you know, if it was me, um, you know, I'd, I'd tweak the suspension, you know, do a little something a little different and I would probably slap a turbo on it. <laughs> Keeping the old boss 302 though, right? Yes. Yes. Keep the 302. Yeah. But yeah, modern suspension with a turbo, and I would love it. Yeah, give it a little more juice, give it a little better handling, and but still keep the kind of original personality of the car. Right, right. I like that. I like that. How about how about you, Randy? What, what would what would be on your list? I I I love I love that, and just a couple shades off of that. If I could pick, let's say three, two of them would be Mustangs, and right off right off the gate. Um, so you, you might want to look this up. You should, you should look up the 1970 boss 302 Parnelli Jones. Oh, the old PJ. Yeah. That's a cool. Yeah. He was, he was a racer uh, back in the day and it's this, uh, it's this orange uh, kind of tangerine scream uh, orange car. And it's, it's all race card out, you know, number 15. And Ooh, I, I like want, that. I like I want that. that. I want to drive that at Laguna Seca until I put it into a wall, you know, just (laughs) run it until I'm so tired that I, that I, I go off the track. Just that would, I would spend my whole day, uh, running something like that and trying to, to better it. I mean, that would would only do a few laps, but, uh, like that would be my race car. And then my, my more daily Mustang, um, uh, shocker, shocker, would be a 68 fastback Mustang. Mm-hmm. Um, in dark and green probably yes exactly um because that one they put the big block in for the bullet movie but uh, 390 with the four speed yeah yep. yes yep. yeah just like the bullet car um but there are uh, we're not just a mustang podcast there are the there, oh there's so year, many there's so many first i mean you're the gto i mean just the original yeah. muscle car GTO is a is a solid like for me too. Um, yeah, six, I'd love one of those in my, in my garage. Sixty seven Corvette, def, sixty seven Corvettes definitely on the list. Big block. Mm-hmm. Stingray. I think you know, uh, Randy. I think you had one more car, right? Um. Yeah, but I I was I'm still I'm still stuck because. Uh, problem is I fall into this into this gap of movie cars and it's like oh well the Dukes of Hazard car like even without all the Duke stuff on it that that charger is just so good looking um but it might actually be no it's just because I saw it so I saw a Starskin Hutch uh replica two days ago <laughs> on the road nice and that would be that would be fun Gran Torino's are, mm-hmm. are super cool kind of big Granada size thing um uh but there's 
there's so much in this segment that I would that I would happily drive. But I think if I had to pick, if I had to pick three, I think the third one might be a Maverick grabber. Ooh, yeah, mm. those are good. But I'm talking that's a three year gap of of all these cars. You know, that's yeah. just kind of. I think '69 is the best single year for all automotive history. Everything looked good that year, but I definitely so. don't, do not disagree with you there. Yeah. So, so Jeff, what what would you what would you do? <laughs> uh, well, um, I fall in line a lot with you guys. So, um, I I'm I'm weird here. Like, I there's so many cars in the muscle car era that I love that are are kind of cliche, but I mean, uh, 67, 68 Mustang has got to be one of the most beautiful cars ever made, like hands down, just the lines, everything about them. And of course, if I had to get one, it would be exactly the same spec that you said, dark Island green, uh, you know, four speed three ninety, you know, all of the good stuff. Um, that's a given. And I would take that in a heartbeat. Um, another car that I love, uh, is the 70 Roadrunner or Plymouth Satellite. Oh, yes. oh those, are, yeah. those are absolutely like top notch cars for me. Oh, um, boy. I, uh, I, I can't remember where I first saw one. I think it might've been at the end of Tokyo Drift when I was in high school. Um, and I, I didn't know what it was. And, uh, one of our mutual friends who's kind of a Mopar fanatic, he, told me what it was and after that i was like that's like a one-year only car and that's the best and only good looking uh uh roadrunner ever produced in my opinion like fantastic looking lines it's like a it's like a classy dodge charger like it just... really, that's exactly what it is I'm yeah looking, i'm looking at them right now and there's a satellite here that's uh it's like a deep burgundy with like one black stripe right down the belt line and it's got yeah. the black top Oh, yeah, they're so good. And they got like that, like really neat little taillights, you know, the little angle on the, on the inside, kind of like a greater than less than sign. And yeah, they're just, they're a really nice looking car. I really like those. And then the, the third one for me is a really big toss up between a few different makes. So I'm going to list them out just because I have to, um, I like the 70 to 72 Camaros, the Z28s with the split bumper. I like those a lot. I like the 66 to 67 Ford Falcons a lot. Um, and then, of course, I really like the oh, – I like the Chargers, but I like the um, – the I think it's the 67 uh, Barracudas. I like those a lot too. Kind of a weird hodgepodge of of cars that I like in that era, and I you know I love the Torinos too. I mean, there's so many good cars of that era that it's really hard to pick them. Yeah, there is. But, it's hard to narrow that down. But I I definitely have those like top few cars that I would I would hold out for, and I would sell I would sell one of my cars to get and a '67 Mustang and a '70 Roadrunner. And uh, would would definitely be a car that I would say, okay, what am I giving up to get one of those? You know what I mean? Like, Quite a bit, for sure. Right. You only need one kidney, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I th- I think that's where you kind of get into drawing the line of like, okay, would I sell one of my cars that I like a lot today to get one of these? And yep, both them. of those cars fit that category. Yep. Oh, those are all really, really good picks, guys. I really like 
Uh, pretty, I'm staring at Barracudas right now. <laughs> they're they're a cool car. They're they're like you know when I was younger, I never really liked the split grill, but as I got older, I was like you know that car has a really cool look, and you know I like them a lot more with the old school look that I have on most of my cars, where it's got the the black uh, steelies with the polished hubcap in the center, like that real classic understated look. I really like that, but. You know, I love these Parnelli Jones Mustangs you brought up with the uh, with the seven spoke. I think um, they almost look like a Watanabe wheel, but they're not. Um, they're a really good looking road race wheel on there, on the uh, on the Parnelli Jones Mustang you you mentioned. Okay, am I am I crazy or I'm I'm looking at the satellite? Am I wrong or am I seeing like first generation Toyota AE86 in the headlights and the grill? Like A86, A86. Like the the, the original kind of Corolla. Oh, you're talking Celica. Like Celica. Celica. Celica, yeah. Celica. No, you totally are right. You're 100% right. It's so weird. I'm just I'm looking at these two uh side by side clicking back and forth and I, it looks like a Mustang Maverick thing. Yeah, it looks like there's some blood there, uh, or at least like cousins, like one, you know, the fat cousin of the of the AE86. <laughs> you know, I think that's actually a perfect segue into classic uh, non-American cars, right? Oh, that's well, that's so many things. I mean, so yeah. like we've got to limit that. I mean, are we talking yeah. like same? So same age. Let's let's do um, let's do sixties to uh, seventy nine. Uh, JDM cars. Can okay. we do that? Does that seem like okay. something that we could do? Yeah, and let's just uh, said to seventy two. So this is pre Celica, so we can't start there. Do you want to cut it off at seventy two, or do you want to do you want to go up to the? Because I don't think there was much JDM stuff in the U.S. prior to uh, like nineteen seventy ish. So I mean, maybe maybe it would make the most sense to go to seventy nine. You know, because then you then you capture in some of the stuff like. The Corollas, the you know the TE seventy two Corollas, the the Celicas, you get the the Datsuns, you get Hondas. That might be a good place to start, and then we we may do some some research uh, before that. But I mean, I I would just want to start with the Skyline, whatever year that we can start with the first gen Skyline. <laughs> I think that what is the first gen Skyline? Those are those that was the one in uh, Fast Five, right? Yeah, the original. What year was that? When did they come out? People are yelling at their uh, radios right now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It came yeah. out in uh, 1969 is exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, uh, I thought that's what it was from Forza, yeah. to be honest. Those are pretty cars, man. Those are really cool cars. Yeah, Skyline GTRs. The first, first gen is just beautiful. So that did not share the same engine as the Datsun 280Z, it looks like. It had a different engine. Oh, maybe it didn't. It's a two-liter S S twenty. Um, I really think that Datsun was like king of Japanese cars back in the seventies. But um, you know, I will I will fully embrace a two forty Z all day because I think those are one of the best cars ever built. Um, so I mean, that is. Here's the thing about the, the 240, 260, and 280 uh, Zs and ZXs. I 
I feel that the 240 is the best looking. And as time goes, the 260 and the 280 get progressively better vehicles, but cheaper feeling and uglier. Sure. Yeah, they add the, the fake vents on the hood and the and the little bits here and there that just kind of the like impact a bumpers. Through a, a shredder. Right. Right. But they came with fuel injection in 1975 on the 280s and added a ton. I mean, I'm anti-fuel injection here, but they added a ton of reliability and solved some of the vapor lock and the weird carburetor issues that they would have. Um, and they added, you know, good, you know, good all weather drivability and the, the sheet metal was thicker, vibration was better, rust issues were solved, uh, metal treatments got better. Those cars were super prone to rusting out, um, especially the early ones. I think, I think it was you maybe who told me, Randy, that every year they increase the thickness of the sheet metal in the Datsun uh, 240, 260, 280. Yeah, I um, heard I heard that somewhere. I, I, I'd have to go and uh, verify it before I, I, I say it for sure. Uh, but I, I want to say I heard that on like Top Gear or, or some such long ago. Yeah. Um. Speaking of the Segway car that you mentioned to get us into this category, I think one of my other favorite uh, cars would be the 7677 Celica, um, which looks very Mustang-esque. That's uh, nice to look at. In its shape, you know, very beautiful car. The dual headlights kind of brings in a lot of that vintage American look. Um, but it has kind of that little bit of that Japanese flair that kind of gives it something different. Um, you know, another car, other How cars, they that lose their out. way so much. It's a gorgeous car. It was, yeah, it was a beautiful car. At least the and GTR you, didn't get, didn't get like boring and ugly. No, the GTR, I think stayed true to form and stayed kind of revolutionary throughout its, at its years. The only design element I think they really carried through on the GTR um, throughout all generations was the round taillights. Um, I, I think there was one year or one generation that they deviated with like a square taillight or something different. But I think um, for the most part, they stayed with those round taillight design. But beyond that, I mean, it's always been kind of a, a revolutionary car. You, you got to help me out because I'm, I'm jumping tab to tab so much. Did we, did we talk about the skyline or did we just brush past it we kind of brushed it i think we brushed it we could talk more about it i think i think we should because i the first and second generations are just you know up up uh the uh 69 to 73 ones with the uh the wing mirrors that are up uh just behind the headlights you know it looks looks like a baby charger Oh, so they actually, it looks like they started, uh, the Skyline brand started in, as a Prince Skyline, uh, was the name of it, the Prince Motor Company in 1957. Yeah. That was before the merging of Datsun and, and Nissan. Right, and and it it was a four-door stan, um, nothing special, uh, but it looks like... Um, when it, when the first GTR came out, the Skyline GTR, um, that's what we kind of recognize as the Skyline today, right? As uh, the two door, um, you know, uh, they I guess they came in both two door and four door. Um, oh man, that second generation is great looking too. 
It really is like it goes it it, it, it that's when it becomes kind of a baby uh sixty nine seventy charger. Ooh yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know, that looks a lot like the Mitsubishi GTO. Yeah. That's a car that you don't see a lot of. I'm just gonna keep ping ponging. There's so much here, but I I don't know a ton about these. I think but... it's the Mitsubishi GTO. What was it? Maybe it was the Colt. I gotta find this car. So how about the uh, MX3, the Mazda Savannah? They called it other places. We we got it the uh, Mazda RX3. The the you know, kind of the start of the rotary powered uh, stuff. It has the same kind of look with the wing mirrors uh, coming off. Oh yeah, fenders there. It's these all definitely have a look. The more we kind of go through yeah. them, yeah, they definitely do. I like that though. Yeah, it's a good which, look. Which one was this? The MX3, you said? Yeah, MX3 from like seventy-one to seventy-eight or whatever. Um, here, link here. Oh, here we go. I got gotcha. you. That's an interesting look, yeah. You know, one I think that you will enjoy is the um, Mitsubishi Colt Gallant. 1973. I think it's 1973, maybe it's 75. Yeah, because that just keeps taking me to a Gallant or a Dodge Colt, which are both. Try, try 1976. Awful. I might have found it. Oh, yeah. Look at that. It's got kind of the same look. Like kind of the Datsun 510 look, but a little more yeah. meaty, a little more fastback-y kind of, kind of look. Mm -hmm. I think you just hit on our next stop uh, on this train, too. Is the, the Datsun 510. I don't know how we went through Datsun and forgot about that. 510 was a was a game changer of a, of a vehicle i mean it it's the reason that our cars are the way they are today i mean the independent suspension at that price point uh just and the fact that it was just so they made them into race cars literally and it's just little uh little family sedan that just rode good and handled good for lightweight it was it was the it was the bmw 3 series of the 70s right the uh, the you know really really good car um you know another interesting car of the era that was uh pretty revolutionary was the honda civic cbcc the controlled or compound vortex combustion chamber i think is what it was called wow that's important information that you hold in your brain there sir <laughs> <laughs> it's a chamber they, uh, I, I have no knowledge of yeah they um they were not known to be particularly reliable, but uh, they were interesting and they got good gas mileage um, and they were, you know, reasonably powerful for what they were and very neat little looking cars, little hatchbacks. So my buddy um, had had one of these. Um, I should say his dad bought him a regular one and a CVCC as a parts car and uh, intended to get them both running and uh, never got around to it. But they they sat uh kind of one in front of the other in their garage for the better part of probably five or six years. And uh, he would be out there wrenching on it sometimes. And I would, uh, I'd leave all of my friends 
in in the house they're playing video games which you know i was and i'm like oh i'll go out to the garage and and it's where they had a giant cooler full of uh off-brand energy drinks <laughs> uh like rip it Ooh, yuck <laughs> they're awful i go out there to grab a few and i'd end up spending 10 minutes with his dad uh just pouring over this weird fishbowl of a car um but it was so basic that it 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 kind of what got me back into classic cars uh, in high school was just this minimalist car. And all of these cars have this that we've been talking about, these little Japanese cars. They didn't have the the heft and the luxury that they were already pushing into big American muscle cars. Mm-hmm. You know, they just didn't have a lot of these these things and they were half the weight, half the size. Uh, and they had to work harder to get the sales. Um, yeah. They didn't have the home home court advantage, right? And the years of of reputation build up that these, you know, the Cadillacs and the Chevrolets and the Fords had. Yeah, while well, the Americans were sitting back market. on their laurels, the Japanese were were coming in 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 force and, you know, repairing their economies from the war twenty years previous. Yeah. And uh so they, they had they had skin in the game and they, they came up with these good vehicles that people bought. And it wasn't until two thousand eight that it really all came to a head and you know that the american companies have started really putting out good cars again competitive cars i should say not good right competitive Um, yeah the for for years uh japan has basically pushed uh the technological barrier in cars and and performance and everything else you know along with the germans cars yeah and it started with these cars and and the fair ladies and and stuff they went hey we can also do fast and fun you know we yeah. can do a, a big straight six in a large for them large uh two plus two uh coupe yeah yeah exactly so andy yeah. what you, i i know you're not a huge uh uh you know import guy especially from from japan but they're so that i'm hoping that means you have very specific thoughts on what you would your dream car, like uh, something that if they came to you and said, hey, I'll trade you this for your Cobra, what would you be interested in in trading it for? That is a very, very easy question, actually. And it's a Mark IV Supra in deep jewel green. <laughs> you both is knew it, this was is, coming. Is a, is a Mark IV Supra outside of 1979? Yeah, it's a little bit. It's a little bit. <laughs> it's a, yeah. it's, it's a little bit of a segue here. So, yeah. Um, yeah. One car that we glazed over, I think, that is pretty important in this era is the uh, Mazda RX-7 and RX-3, RX-2. Uh, some of those pretty uh, the outstanding. The rotaries, yeah. The some of the some of the best cars ever, really ever built, and most technologically advanced cars ever built. Yep, yep, yep. So as far as everyone's favorites, I don't know if we, we kind of talked about a lot of cars. Which are the ones that you would bring home? Nineteen sixty nine GTR. That's that's my that's my number one answer. I love that's probably my, my number one, definitely my number one and probably only one from the period really. I mean there's a lot of nice, but not you know not particularly my niche. Yeah. Man, I I'm struggling to pick on one, but I, I'd have to probably. Um, man, I 
I don't know. I, I love the look of the Celicas. You know, I could I could probably rock a, a Celica pretty easy. I think, uh, or a, or a or a two forty Z. It's a toss up for me at the, between those two. So, uh, quick quick show of hands. Who picked that? Um, almost entirely based off of a Fast and Furious that you watched. My hand is up. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. That 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 probably did it. Okay, do we have do we have another one of those? Or I don't know. Uh, do you, are you guys feeling we, we want to cover another one or? Yeah, you know, if, if we could, you know, we could go to modern JDM if we want from there. That was kind of my my intention. So maybe '90s sports cars. Uh, it sounds like a pretty decent one. So I think uh, Andy started out with this one pretty clearly. Uh, Mark uh, or uh, Mark Four Supra, right? So fourth gen Supra. The the now the 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 now hundred thousand dollar car that is the uh, the fourth gen. Yeah. <laughs> right. I have a really boring answer for this, so go ahead and and uh, and you guys go because I I know what mine is and it's not fun. It's like well, of course. <laughs> I'm, is it I'm, a I'm series BMW? No, no, we're going Japanese. <laughs> we're going Japanese. I'll stick to that. He's, he's no, going to get a. He's he's opting for a '95 Camry four cylinder. I'm guessing. Camry. 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 Um, oh, I'm going to have to go with. Uh, uh, let's see, uh, Japanese sports cars from the '90s. You know, I'm really struggling with this one, actually, between two cars that I really like. And I have to look up the date that it was first produced uh, so I know if I'm in the year or not. But um, I think top of the list for me would be a, um, okay, would be a uh, RX-7, FD RX-7. I knew it. Um, it that, that car right there, I mean, uh, Supra is amazing, but FD RX-7 is is like is to be one of the best looking like hands down best looking japanese car from the 90s you know and I, so i i i would have to agree it's definitely on point with the super as far as in my book too and i i saw a very beautiful one actually friday afternoon here driving uh, around. we got to hit the brakes um i'm gonna pull back and i'm gonna say uh dotson roadster 2000 or 1600 for the Ooh, last segment, back, last segment that has to be that has to be mentioned, and now we can move back into where we were because that has to be said. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I'm I'm gonna have to go for RX-7. The only thing I think that would draw me away from an RX-7 is uh, what is its most notable uh, component, which is the rotary and its uh, notorious unreliability in the turbo variant of the car um for the fd in particular uh if you notice the first gen rotaries the uh i think they're the 12a and even the 13b uh were fairly reliable but the later ones in the in the turbo cars seem to have a lot of common problems but um beyond that that car is just like i mean from from a balance uh, weight distribution sitting i sat in one at a, at a car lot once and it just like you sit super low in the car 
steering wheel is right in front of you. you got the big gauge staring you right in the face. Like you feel like you're in a race car. Um, a close second to me, I think beyond, behind the RX seven would be a S 2000. Uh, I think those cars like the, in this case to fall into the 90s category would be an AP one, which still is like the most pipey. I think it's a 9,200 RPM red line. Just this, just this fantastic sounding engine throwing around this lightweight, you know, uh, this lightweight two wheel rear wheel drive car, you know, kind of the Miata thing, but with some power, like that sounds pretty good to me too. So, uh, but yeah, that's, that's my final answer. (laughs) Another comparable one. I'm I'm not big on the 2000, but along the Honda lines, I would have to say the NSX. Ah, you sucker. That was mine. (laughs) (laughs) So Randy NSX for you then, huh? Oh, certainly. And I love, I, that's just, again, it was a game changer. I mean, the, the everyday supercar, I mean. No, 1990 to 2005, first gen, Randy. 1990. Okay. That's, that's what I thought. Yeah. Um, I, it's just, it's the right answer to this question. Um, uh, I'll, I'll say that the, like the, R33, R34 GTRs are good, but I can't pick GTR the whole way through. And of course, the Miata has its own place, but I think that's going to get mentioned enough in um, other segments. Um, yeah. But I just think <laughs> NSX is is the right answer for this particular question. Um, for, so one for of the me, things about this this whole segment, though, is is we're we're also talking about our personal like cars that we would like to own but there also is another thing that we could discuss at some point which is notable cars from those particular areas i, I think, think we touched I, on I a little bit in the japanese area yeah. yeah 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 so you know another notable car i think in this area would be the 3000 gts the all-wheel drive turbo do we have cars. to mention them or can we just not <laughs> you're, you're not a fan i don't take it right uh-uh. nope no no i don't like them either but they were uh undoubtedly a uh a technological achievement and they performed extremely well for what they what they were um you know they're not my choice uh, you know and another one too right along those lines is the uh is the uh, eagle talon uh, mitsubishi eclipse Oh, why do you have to hurt me like this? <laughs> why? Why with, with the crank walk? Walk, crank walk. See, crank hey, walk. Crank walk, crank walk. Uh, and, walk, and, crank walk. You know, yeah, I, I've met a few of those owners, and I, I uh, yeah, I'm not going to comment further on oh, those particular we're cars. We're owners, so we're no better. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So, but it, it, regardless, still technically pretty capable cars and pretty interesting cars of the of the era um of in their own right um you know miata another one pretty pretty impressive car um doing what it does um mr2 mr2 gen 2 or uh, second gen yeah yeah pretty neat car the better Um, fiero the better fiero (laughs) (laughs) oh what else is there in this in this era i feel like there's a lot of of uh, potential here if anyone um, listening has any thoughts, we'll we'll uh, we'll mention them at the top of the next episode. Um, but this is 
you know, we're all just trying to pull stuff off the top of our heads as well. And this is not necessarily where we spend most of our time, but it does show that there's, this is not necessarily our cup of tea that we all, you know, swim in to mix metaphors strangely, but we still know all of these cars where it takes very little, uh, to search them out. Um, there's there's so much good out there and you could you could talk 10 minutes on most of these cars that we've that we've brought up i mean even the mr2 you we could easily talk for for an hour about you know the history and development and demise of just the mr2 right oh snap snap oversteer come on come on guys oh, catch boy. up catch up come short on. yeah short wheelbase stuff yeah, that's a blip shift shirt right there. Yes. Oh snap! <laughs> Speaking of blip shift, I'm I'm wearing my axe murderer. Oh, are you? I had my um, my reliability is overrated shirt on earlier today. <laughs> I'm looking at my wheeling shirt right now. Hey, that's a good shirt. That's some ugly art, but it's fun. Hey, DFG. <laughs> yeah, hey. For the, for those listening, uh, Jeff got his. Uh, if you're aware of Blip Shift, uh, the the Bronco, the second gen Bronco shirt, Wheelan, he uh, submitted the art for that. Uh, he did. They used the basis of that of that art for the shirt, so that's neat. A neat little thing. Neat little thing that's, that happened. That's neat. <laughs> How neat is that, guys? It's pretty neat. That's let's pretty open, neat, right there. Let's open the floodgate. The rest of JDM. Let's just finish up JDM tonight. Like we've we've kind of <laughs> we've touched on on uh, those specific ones. Is there anything else? Because I remember the uh, the Toyota 2000 GT. Ooh. Uh, that's that's notable as as Ooh. anything. What was the Toyota race car that they built back in the day? The GT one. Yeah, there you go. I, I was just reading an article about that. I think two days ago. Uh, what was that? Okay, the there's a four rotor. I think it was a four rotor Mazda. Yep. Um, I was just I was literally just looking at that too. That's the 787B. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That thing is nuts. Those things those are insane. Time period. Yeah. Have you ever heard those things idle? It sounds like I've a can. I've seen the videos. Ridiculous. Yeah. There's a there's a great video of a guy. I think he's got a three or a four rotor. Um, uh, in a uh, in a Lexus GS 300 on YouTube, and the and he just he's drifting it around this track, and the thing just sounds absolutely ludicrous. But um, I love those rotary motors, man. They just are super neat. They are. Um, but I think it was the was it the I got to look it up. I, I want to say it was like the Mazda One or something like that. Something weird. They had like a vintage sports car that reminds me of the old Toyota 2000 GT. Um. Let me look this up. I can't remember the name of it. I'm not super, uh, not super up to date on my Japanese vintage, vintage Japanese car stuff. So okay, do so. Are we doing sports cars or Japanese cars in general? Because I'm not sure if it counts, but I feel like we would get yelled at if we don't mention the um, the Evos and the WRXs. Oh no! Totally, dude. Totally. Um, the uh, uh, WRXs we can forget about, but the Evos are really. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, there's, deep, there's deep bloodlines in both of those. Yeah, 
for sure. <laughs> and they, and they go, yeah, yeah, no, you're totally right. Um, I really like the, uh, what is that engine that they put in the Evo? The, is it like the four, what is it? I got to look it up. Um, I have no, no help. It, it, it but it, 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 I've seen videos of these guys build these Evos up and they, and they can put out some incredible power. I mean, oh, yeah. the boxers are good in their own right. You know, they have the good uh, low weight, just, you know, low center of gravity and are great for rally, but those Evos can put out some incredible power numbers. I'm, I'm, I'm going to drop a link for blasphemy here, but I actually like this car. Mazda Cosmo. That's what it was. The Mazda Cosmo. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. At that minute, minute ago. Um, how about the Mazda Speed cars to be a little more current? The Speed 6 that was all-wheel drive, and the Speed 3s that will torque steer you into the wall. <laughs> they're, they're, a... they're, they're a neat little, like happy upstep from you know the just the plain you know three and six model i don't i can't say i'm familiar enough with with anything modern in J- japan beyond the like the r35 um and the r35 the i do not care for one bit <laughs> well i mean they're they're i mean they're super capable cars right i mean they're the shifting alone and the launch control on them is just insane yeah, it's just there are too many nannies on it for me. You know, it's 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 easy mode car. Yeah, you you can't get sideways in a corner in it and and have to correct and learn how to you know steer out of it. Yeah, we brushed by that um, last night. There's a bonus episode that went up before this will go up, uh, and we uh, Jeff and I were talking about that, and we mentioned that it's just missing a soul. It it doesn't it seem is. to have. And I don't mean that there's not a Kia included with the car. I mean, like, it just doesn't have. <laughs> oh, this guy don't, over here. Don't laugh at that. That was stupid. <laughs> that was a dad joke right there. That's a dad joke. Uh, twice over. But uh, it, it just doesn't have that, that, that soul of it that to, to, like, you know, that it doesn't feel like it has a character to it. It feels like a machine. Not that any of us have driven it, but when you know, a hundred percent of people say, Oh, it's a great car that doesn't feel good. Well, you know, we played enough video games to tell you how it, how it drives. Right. So <laughs> I it Forza. Uh, yeah. Forza. <laughs> hey, um, I drove it into a wall at Forza once. It didn't hurt. So I did it again. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way to get the best times on Forza is you just, you just pin just it, ride the, wall. And ride the wall the whole time. You don't break for the corner. You just push out, ride the wall, and then power through. Or aim for another car, and then you slam into the other car, and then they, he puts you on the right track, and you take out a competition at the same time. I think that's how real racing works, too. Well, that's, that's exactly that's how that's real online. racing is. That, that's online racing. That's yes. Oh, that's online racing. But, yeah, uh, you know, RX-8, another good, another good um, modern one. Not my mm-hmm. favorite. Um, but another interesting, you know, more modern car. A modern car that still burns oil is a problem, as far as I yeah. <laughs> RX eight was it was piqued my my interest when it came out because of just the timing and the age at the time that I was. It's not a car I may hate to. I don't think it's aged well visually. No, no not as much. I don't think it has either. I feel like the RX-7 looks better than the RX-8 at this point. I think I like the RX-8 simply for the suicide door more than anything else. That mm-hmm. was 
Yep, 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 yep. I can see that. You know, the BRZ is actually a pretty nice car. Um, the BRZ I, I, is fine if, if, they, if they didn't sound like a box of rocks when you delete the mufflers and such on them. I don't know if I've listened to one with no muffler. Is it, it, it had this, the the boxer rumble kind of thing? Yeah, it sounds terrible. We you've you've seen a handful of them with me down at RDM before. They they sound terrible when you start messing with them. Other than that, they look great. Yeah, they do look great. Yeah. Yeah, I like the BRZ better than the uh, the, the Toyota version because it doesn't have a spoiler, and all car all cars are better without spoilers. Hmm. Yeah, you know, there's technically there's another one in there in that category too, the uh, the Genesis. Oh, yeah. the Genesis Coupe. Well, well, we said I think we said Japanese. Yeah, that's it is South yeah. Korean, but I I don't know where else we'd put that. I don't think we have a South. Yeah, it's kind of why I threw it in sports cars. So I think that's that is worth mentioning. That was competitive against the the. Mustang We're also we can also claim ignorance. You know, we don't really know geography very well. So <laughs> you know. I, I don't I don't remember basic high school geography. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's that's fine. I don't think I do either. There, there's a lot of things from high school that I don't remember in general. You know, try not to. <laughs> try not to. I mean, yeah. you have to do taxes. So well, it's 2019. <laughs> so uh, obligatory Kia Stinger is a neat thing that costs. Stinger, Ooh, yes, yeah, yeah, so that's yeah, worth throwing yeah. in as well. So that's that's JDM. I think we've covered most all uh, of performance JDM. If we missed anything, please let us know. But that's that's a pretty uh, pretty big big swath of things. So of everything we talked about, what what are some things you would take? I think of everything we talked about. I mean, first gen GTR or an NSX are still. Maybe an R34 GTR. I'd say those would be my three that I'd be most interested in picking up. Yeah, for talking JDM, number one's got to go to the Supra. Two would probably be the, the FDRX7. Three. Three, if I had to go three, I would probably go. Well, NSX, right? NSX, yeah. Yeah, I think I'm sticking with my original, um, my original uh, selection of the uh, of the RX7, uh, the FE RX7. Um, I really like the S2000s. Um, having trouble picking a, a third here. Uh, maybe a um, maybe a fourth gen Supra or something like that would be okay. Mm-hmm. All right, that is that is some fun some fun dreaming. For oh, sure. definitely. And next next week we'll pick another uh, uh, segment or two and uh, and and cover that. We've got a lot to talk about, and we're uh, we're looking forward to. We'll be back next week. Uh, and so, does anyone have any uh, any final thoughts? Nothing for me. I don't think. Buy old cars, man. I keep saying it. Buy old cars. They're better. Buy old cars. Buy good batteries. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Avoid rust. Avoid rust. Up to you. (laughs) Avoid rust or clear over it. Yeah. A little little boiled linseed oil goes a long way. (laughs) And uh, I'll say that uh, cars look better without spoilers. And... uh, 
to uh, if you haven't checked out our our uh, interim uh, bike show uh, that came out a few days ago, check that out for sure. Uh, so good night. Good night. Good night. for listening to the garage night podcast a special thanks for jeff tracy and annie tamlin for joining the show this week and to cara square for allowing us to use their song blue skies blues under the creative common license for the intro and outro of the show until next week keep turning wrenches